Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In my mind I could see where I needed to be. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and we are back. We are back with another episode. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the fact that um, we had another episode coming that was kind of unique, and this one is definitely unique. Uh, I've never done this before. It's something that I've wanted to do, uh, where um, we get multiple voices on a topic in one episode. And so I was finally able to do that. And uh, I got to give credit to to my buddy, Ryan, who is one of the interviews on this podcast. Uh, he reached out to me, actually, um, serendipitously, if that's a word, on the same day I was getting ready to do the interview with Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis and said, hey, is there something that we can do that might be useful for those out there who maybe have gone through or are going through a divorce um, that might be a helpful tool for them and maybe they can benefit from our mistakes or, or things that we've learned. And I got to thinking about it and I thought, you know, what might be neat is to record conversations with real people who have been through it firsthand. And then that morphed into, Hey, I really would like to get both a male and female perspective on here. And so that led to me reaching out to my friend, Chelsea. And so what you have here is kind of a unique episode that, um, in the way that we've never done it before. So there's actually two completely separate interviews on this one episode. So the episode is a little, a hair longer than we normally go. Um, so if you want to break it up into listening sessions, uh, great. If you want to hammer through it all in one episode, if you listen to Joe Rogan, this is nothing. This is, this is, this is short compared to his episodes. So, um, so if you're used to that kind of length, then you'll be fine. But anyway, so we got two very unique perspectives. So Ryan, uh, and I went through our divorces roughly around the same time, um, uh, about a year, year and a half ago at this point. Um, and so we're kind of fresh, uh, in, in terms of being divorced and trying to navigate our way through that, um, learn who we are as single men again, and trying to figure out how, um, how we fit in the world and, and how we learn from our mistakes and how we take accountability for our parts in it and, um, how we, um, recover from that and, and do better, you know? Uh, and so, uh, so you'll hear that at the end of the episode, but my first interview is with my friend Chelsea. And the reason I want to have Chelsea on is not just because she went through a divorce, but because she has a completely different perspective. She's in a completely different place. Uh, in her divorce. And so she talks a lot about, um, you know, years later and reflecting back from, um, from being years removed from it. And she just got remarried. So, um, so I thought that was really cool, you know, so, uh, gives me a lot of hope, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that you can, uh, self-reflect and you can learn things, uh, from your, um, from your failed marriage for lack of a better term, and you can be successful in the future. So, um, so I think that's a really cool perspective because she's in a very different 
place in the timeline. So you'll hear that first, but, um, I just really appreciate both Ryan and Chelsea being super vulnerable and, and coming on and talking about something that's not always easy. And um, they both had great stuff to say. Um, I, I took away a lot from it. And so I hope you do too. I hope that it, it's something that is useful and beneficial uh, to those who are either going through a divorce or have been through a divorce. Um, it, like I said in the last episode, it, it, it's just, it's not fun. It's not fun no matter how smoothly the process goes. Um, It's not something anyone ever sets out to do. And so um, as Dr. Bryant said, Bryant Davis said last week or or two weeks ago, rather, um, you have to learn to forgive yourself and, and, and you have to know that that doesn't mean that you're unlovable and that you can't have a successful relationship and you have to push back against those things. uh, Those things that just simply aren't true. And so, Hopefully this episode is um, is useful, and I, I really enjoyed talking to both of, of my friends and learning things that I didn't even know about them. So um, so hopefully this is useful to you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the other, the normal stuff. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, uh, then you probably already know about our awesome website, uh, The Great and Amazing Ryan Battles, uh, help, uh, helps keep our website running and and looking beautiful and professional in ways that we could never make it look beautiful or professional. And so thank you to Ryan. Um, but the website is www.thedeconstructionists with an S.com. And if you go there, that is our one-stop shop for everything. So you can follow us on social media through there. You can read our blog, uh, that hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll get writing on again. Uh, but there's some, there's definitely pieces on there by us and by, uh, guest authors who have come on and, and, um, and written for us. Uh, you can get into our web store and we've got all sorts of cool t-shirts. We've got coffee mugs and pint glasses that guarantee to make the liquid that you put inside of them taste that much better. Not really, but it'll look really cool. Um, so we've got stuff like that on there. Um, if you want to support us on a monthly basis, we've got a Patreon campaign with some cool, uh, different packages on there. Our most popular has always been and continues to be our book club. So, uh, if you donate a certain dollar amount per month um, and join our book club, uh, we curate and send you a book every month, um, it, either by guests that have been on or by authors that we think are useful, um, just interesting topics. And so um, that's fun. You can do that too. And uh, if you like the music on the podcast, we always update our Spotify playlist. And so uh, if you follow our Spotify playlist, whatever guests that we use that particular week, a song by that band or artist goes up onto a Spotify playlist, which is, I think it's almost like a hundred songs now by a number of different bands. So, so support the artists, uh, support the artists on this episode. Uh, if you, if you like the band, like the artist, uh, in the show notes, we always have links to their social media, uh, to, um, the songs that we used on this episode. And we always, always are so appreciative to the band's, and the artists who allow us to use their music. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, hopefully hopefully things are easing up now uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, I recorded this in the past, so who knows where we're at. But stay safe. Um, practice all the things they tell you to practice, social distancing, uh, hand washing, um, and then take advantage of the Netflix party option. I haven't done that yet, but I'm going to. I heard it's fun. So anyway, um, 
again, without further ado, uh, this one's, uh, it's going to be impossible to say freaking in the middle. Just, just going to put that out. There's two people. So my friend Chelsea and my friend Ryan, um, again, I hope you guys like it and, uh, we'll, we'll see you in May. So thank you guys so much. And here we go. I guess I needed to see how far my misery would take me down. Before I came around But you outlasted even my deep Alright, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Um, I'm very excited to have one of my friends on this week to talk about a topic that is very important to me. Um, and so this is meant to be a companion piece to last week's episode. But what I thought would be interesting was to have some guests on who have gone through divorce uh, firsthand and have some firsthand experiences that they can share on the topic. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you very much. So uh, obviously the reason I had you on is because you have yourself gone through a divorce. But before we get into that, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background. Like what do you do for a living? And Because um, I think you have a cool... Uh, cool profession and something that really applies well to this topic. So, Okay. Um, so I am a clinical counselor. Um, I have a private practice that I run, and I work kind of generally. I work with lots of different issues, but uh, kind of specialize in trauma. And um, But I work with lots of couples, children, adults, teenagers, everything across the board. So that's what I do now. I also have three teenage sons. So that's my other job. And they're fantastic. That's awesome. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, but you weren't always a therapist, right? So this I wasn't. came later. Yes. I've, I've only been a therapist for a couple of years now. Um, before that, well, let's see, my undergrad is in theater. So I read a mean bedtime story, <laughs> but never really used that much. And then um, I, I did work as a pastor for a while. And then I was a stay-at-home mom and was married and just did that. When I actually went through my divorce, that was when I decided I needed to find something that was a career for me. And so I went into counseling. Nice, nice. So um, talk a little bit about, because um, obviously I I know your parents and your brother, um, uh, it's kind of in the blood, uh, if you will. (laughs) So talk a little bit about how you were raised, because you're also a PK. I am, I am. So I was raised in an evangelical, charismatic church. Um, I actually had a really good experience with faith. Um, I think mostly, and like you said, due to my family, um, I had parents who really had a deep uh, love for God. And that was primarily what was passed down to me. But as most of us know, even if we have a really great family experience, you know, I was also, you know, just um, simmered in the soup of evangelicalism in the soup of the church. And so, um, yeah, I had a great experience, a deep, deep faith um, most of my life, but was also a very, very committed rule follower. I uh, was the kid who, you know, I did everything right. I did everything by the book. I was very good, and I prided myself on being very good. So, uh, I find that PKs go one of two directions. <laughs> one of two directions. Rule follower or anti. Maybe rule. my lovely brothers yeah. went the other way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. They all ended up kid. just fine, though. They did. They're wonderful yeah. men. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> 
Um, that's so funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, there's such an interesting perspective that comes with growing up literally in the church as a pastor's kid, because there are certain expectations applied to you that maybe aren't applied to other kids. Yeah. I think the thing that, you know, for me, the, 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 if there was a banner written over, you know, (laughs) my life, it was, you are the example and that was just, you know, it wasn't necessarily something my parents meant to put over me, but just by virtue of sort of growing up as the oldest child in a pastor's home and being one of the first kids born in my church and, you know, just all of these, and the leader in the youth group and all of these things, it was sort of this idea that everybody is watching you and everybody is watching you for the right way to do these things it was sort of this follow me as I follow Christ, you know, thing. And it just living with this constant sense that, um, yeah, that I was, I was, uh, being observed and that I needed to do things well. Yeah. Yeah. There's pressure that comes with that. What's interesting too, is I think, I don't know if you felt this way, but I certainly had this moment where I think as a kid, I remember, uh, cause born and raised Lutheran, you know, the, the, the robes, the stole, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And they stand outside the church at the end. They shake hands with everybody as they're coming out. Mm-hmm. And I used to wrap my blanket around me and I would shake hands alongside my dad as like a tiny little kid. Wow. And I was like, when people asked me, I said, what, you know, I'm going to grow up to be a pastor. And then I got older and I thought, there's no in hell I'm ever, no, you cannot <laughs> talk me into that. And then, you know, of course you come full circle. Yeah. Right. So did you ever have a moment like that where you're like, I don't want to do this too? Um, that was later. I mean, it, I think my whole <laughs> life I, I absolutely wanted to do it. And, and I yeah. think that's part of the problem. I, you know, I have both of my parents are pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom did stay home with us, but then, I mean, she, she is a, a powerful, uh, just incredibly gifted uh, pastor in her own right, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and then they had this marriage that was just incredibly, um, I don't know, just a, a, a real partnership of ministry. And uh, that was their life. And so watching their marriage, you know, that's the kind of marriage I wanted. I wanted to find someone who was going to, you know, work for the Lord alongside of me. And and that was the vision I had. And it's so funny even to think back when I was a teenager, I would not date anyone not just who was not a Christian, but I wouldn't date anyone who wasn't a leader. Oh, wow. And I, you know, even when I was like in college, when I was looking for a spouse, like I felt that I needed to marry someone who was going into the ministry. I wanted to marry someone who was a pastor. So I wouldn't even date anyone who wasn't interested in Christian leadership, period. And so, I mean, the standards were so incredibly high in my mind of what you know, what my marriage was going to be and what it was going to look like. It's a trail of broken hearts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's wild. I, um, yeah, I think, I think for me, it was com- probably completely opposite. I uh, had no desire to date anyone who was, uh, not, I wouldn't say like, I de- definitely wanted somebody who had a life of faith, but like yeah. that was not even on my radar, yeah. I think at that point. So that's, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was different. I was de- yeah, I definitely... <laughs> definitely wanted the whole life of ministry. Yeah. You know? Okay. So talk a little bit about... Um, it's now. It's now that I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. We, I, I know you've also gone through a bit of a deconstruction yeah, as well, right. which is interesting. And um, I even remember talking to your dad um, who, like I, I use him as kind of one of the examples of like um, 
the, the, a receptive person who may not get where you're at, but like is legitimately interested in talking to you about it. Yes. No judgment. And, and like is absolutely interested in, Oh, like, you know, we talked about, I think some books I was reading at the time and we were just chatting about it and like, we could have kept talking, but I had to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, there's a spaciousness to him as a person and just a, he's a good listener. Yes, he is. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's one of the things that made him such a, a good pastor too. He's just a genuinely, um, lovely and loving person and yeah. it comes, comes through. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I think that probably, um, was a benefit to your upbringing, I would say. Mm-hmm. Cause mine was very similar. My parents were not, um, uh, at no point was religion something that was forced down my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were ready and willing to, uh, and excited to answer questions as they, uh, came forth, but it mm-hmm. wasn't something where, you know, it was like hammered down on me, which mm-hmm. I think, Lent, it, you know, uh, later in life, I think made it a lot easier. Yeah. So it, yeah. it seems like you had a very similar. Kind yeah. Of- I mean, it was definitely understood that my relationship with God was the most important thing in our lives and to them. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I got that message, you know, and so, I mean, that has its own complications, but I mean, that wasn't a, it wasn't a, a pressured thing, Yeah. you know, but there is very much that feeling of when you're, when you're raised where faith is so, so central, the ability to question it or to disagree does, it carries a double, it's doubly loaded, let me say, because it's not just then questioning your faith. It's also a feeling of, am I, am I part of the tribe? Am I a part of the family? You know? And so that, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something too, you just made me think of the fact that like, not only are you questioning what you believe, but in a sense, you're also questioning what your parents believe sure. because they're yeah. the ones who taught you, essentially. Yeah. Well, I think if you're a person that did rebel as the PK, that's a little easier. Yeah. But when you feel like, I mean, I loved my parents and I trusted them. And I grew up really almost seeing my parents as extensions of God. Mm. You know, so I think it's really difficult then when you start to, if you have a relationship like that with your parents where... Um, you do, I, I saw they weren't hypocrites. <laughs> they were genuine, yeah. godly, uh, wise, authentic people. And so then to be able to, to sort of step away from, you know, your faith and say, well, what do I believe? Do I agree with everything? That's even harder because it feels like such a betrayal of these people who in every way were so loving and good and kind too. It'd be yeah. a lot easier. You know, I've had a lot of, you know, as I went through a deconstruction and just sort of resorting my faith, I've had a lot of conversation that, with people and they were just like, why is it so hard for you to separate from your parents? And I was like, you know, it would be easy if they were just these people who were hammering something down my throat. That would be easy. Yeah. This is not easy because I so deeply, deeply trust and value them. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different. It, yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, because for me personally, <clears throat> it, as someone who never really took an interest in the topic of uh, religion or theology or, you know, really took it ever took a deep look at my own faith, um, when I started to, that was when my dad and I uh, discovered this whole new, <laughs> like, 
area of our relationship that didn't exist before. And, yeah. you know, we always tease my dad because he's really, um, we'll, we'll talk your ear off about four things. You know, it's like the Cubs, <laughs> uh, food, you know, uh, psychology, specifically like death and grief. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, a ray of sunshine. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> theology. And yeah. so that was something that we never discussed before. And now that's this new element in our relationship where we're constantly, he's blowing me up with emails probably as we speak with yeah. suggestions of people to look at, oh, you know. That's beautiful. So, well, yeah. I think that I'm, I was the opposite. I think that that was always central to my relationship with my parents from the time, I mean, from the time that I was a little girl, I used to, you know how most kids play house or play cops yeah. and robbers or whatever. I played missionary. Oh, and wow. so I would stand in the tree in the front yard and <laughs> preach to the people going by. And, you know, it was just my whole life. That was this, the center of our relationship. And so it's sort of scary. Like if, if I change, do we have a relationship anymore? You know? Yeah. And so that's a different, a different deal. And we do, we do. We yeah. Do. It's, it's been wonderful. They've been wonderful. So. Yeah. It just looks a little different maybe. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist exactly, anymore. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's great. That's good wisdom right there for people. Um, so talk a little bit about, because I think one of the things that you and I discussed before we recorded that I'm really interested in diving into that we touched on a little bit on the last podcast with Dr. Tama is this idea that like a lot of the different branches of Christianity, and there's a bazillion different denominations and different sects and branches um, to it with varying beliefs. Um, but for a lot of them, especially in Western Christianity, the, the idea of divorce or the topic yeah. of divorce is a big no, no. Yeah. Uh, it, you do not get divorced no matter what. Yeah. And so how were you raised? What was the view on divorce growing up? Yeah. I mean, I remember I, I definitely grew up with that. Like just divorce was like one of the worst things, Yeah. you know, that you could do. I mean, it was almost like, like, paramount, I mean, tantamount to like murder. I mean, it's just like, you don't do that. And when I would hear about people who got a divorce, I mean, I remember in my little kid, you know, mine just thinking like, what? Yeah. How, how, how could you do that? It was just not done. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it, it was very loaded. Did, did you ever hear, I remember hearing this, somebody told me once, uh, probably my teenage years, that uh, if you got divorced and you got remarried, that in God's eyes, that you were just basically perpetually committing adultery. Well, I mean, I, I, like, Whoa. <laughs> I remember reading that. Yeah. And and scripture. Yeah. And, and just, I think that it, on the positive side, I was given this view of marriage that was so incredibly holy and sacred and revered and honored. And there was a lot of beautiful things about that. But also, um, you know, the idea of destroying that was just, yeah, I, I don't even have words for it. It was just, you just, you wouldn't go near that. And, right. you know, of course, all the scripture that God hates divorce, right, you right. know, and, and, <laughs> I, it was. I had a real reverence for God too, and why? How? How could you do something that was that God hated? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a lot of people uh, that resonates with, and I think a lot of people who are listening who have gone through a divorce probably went through some of the the shame that's attached to that. Like, yeah. you know, like oh, I can't I can't do that for those very reasons. Yeah. Um, I know. Um, for me, I'm trying to think back how how it was viewed. I just knew it was kind of like something you didn't do. And I just remember 
thinking that, you know, when I get married, it's a one-time deal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going into it for the long haul. Yeah. You know, in my naive 20-something, you know, outlook on something that I knew nothing about. Like, yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know how hard marriage was. I didn't know, um, the, the work that it's required to keep it, keep it going, keep it healthy. Yeah. I didn't know all of the, um, you know, the other factors that could come into play outside of the work you put into it that could negatively impact it. I didn't know, you know, Yeah. so I was like, I'm, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it one time and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. here I am at 40, you know, I'm right. like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's not the way I planned it. Yeah. So talk about like, um, and, and obviously as much or as little as you, you, sure. you feel comfortable, but talk about like, so you got married. How old were you when you got married? Mm-hmm. I think it was 20, 21. Whoa. Yeah. You were young. <laughs> I was, which, you know, in our, in our church culture, that was pretty normal. Right. That's what we were all doing. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't that out of the ordinary. Well, it's the only way you can have sex, right? Right. Yeah. So exactly. You got to get we, to it. You got to get married quickly. We pushed our wedding up, I think, right. six months because we were like, yeah, no, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but for sure. You're and not I, the first one that's told me that. <laughs> and there was just a sense of like wanting to get started with life. And this was yeah. part of how you got started. This is part of how you got into the adult world and the sort of, uh, you know, and, and there was a lot of other things just about me, you know, and I, but I think that this is, I don't know, relevant to lots of people of just feeling sure. like, um, I was looking for somebody to sort of complete me. I was looking for someone to, you know, flush out, you know, or, I don't know, to, to finish my identity in a sense. And just, Ooh, talk you know, about that. <laughs> I don't like talking about it. Oh, man. That's no, good. it's, yeah, no, it's, I think just a feeling of feeling always that there was something lacking in me, some insecurity or some incompleteness or, um, you know, some deep uh, sense of, unworthiness that it's it felt like somebody making that kind of decision for me yeah. would heal or would ground or would you know uh resolve yeah and that's not how it works no but yeah but you're by far not the only person right. that's ever like thought that way yeah you know? right exactly. I think that happens a lot yep yeah so we were young we were really young and uh, I think both of us were still in college and and we got married young. Okay. We were kids. Okay. Um, so uh, so you're 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And how long were you married? Um, we were married, I think it, we got divorced probably around 17 years or something like that. But we actually did split up one time before that. Okay. So it was kind of twice that the marriage ended. And then, yeah, the most recent time it was, I think, at 17 years. And we had three kids. So, yeah. A lot of life happened. A lot of life. Yeah. So, um, talk a little bit about, um, when you're realizing that this is not a healthy marriage, what's going through your mind at this point, knowing what you know about the way that you were raised and the way, and, and just kind of the view on divorce. So what was that like? Huh? I I think it's, you know, in our situation, and I want to be careful about how I talk about it because um, my ex-husband and I actually have a a friendship now we we co-parent well and I want to be really honoring to him and the way that I talk about it because it's his story too yeah. it's my children's stories too but I think with our divorce in particular it was one of those cases where there were there were very clear parameters so to speak <laughs> yeah. it was very black and white in some respects and so 
you know, for me, it wasn't necessarily about coming to a place where I was realizing that the marriage wasn't healthy. Mm. It was almost as if I was coming to a place where I was accepting that the marriage was over. Ah, interesting. I was not... I was not willing to accept that the marriage was over, I think. And um, coming to a place where I, I acknowledged that mm-hmm. and got a divorce in response to that versus feeling like the marriage is unhealthy and then getting a divorce, if, if that makes sense. Interesting, um, yeah. You know, I think that the, the realization that the marriage was unhealthy is, is coming more in the last couple of years of just realizing where, and, and that's part of what I've experienced as a counselor, you know, of just looking back and being like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize what we were doing to each other. I didn't realize what was happening in that marriage that didn't necessarily have to happen. And yeah. so I have a lot of feelings about, yeah. I don't know. Marriage and therapy and yeah. that kind of thing too. Me but. too. I think therapy is good, <laughs> yes. you know? Um, what's interesting about you saying that is that um, I think I think it's normal, or at least in my experience so far, um, and all the things I've read, I think it's normal to continue to process something like yeah. that. I mean, that's that was such a huge part of your life. Absolutely. And you've got memories with the person and children with the person, yeah. and that doesn't just go away. Right. You know, it's like um, we had a guest on um, this psychiatrist, um, Dr. Pauline Boss, a couple years ago, and her... Um, seminal work is this idea that she, this term that she coined, um, ambiguous, uh, loss or ambiguous grief. And, and I think it fits perfectly with something like a divorce. I think she even talks about that where it's a death of something, yeah. but the two people are still very much alive. Yeah. So it's a different kind of grieving process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know what to do with that. You know, I mean, I, I remember, and I, and I mean no disrespect to anyone that's lost their spouse, but I remember sometimes thinking, I feel like this would be easier yeah. if he had died because I don't know what to do with the fact that he's out there in the world. Right. I don't know what to do with the fact that I feel these feelings for this person mm-hmm. and have to, have to be in contact with him for the rest of my life because we share these children right? and not know what to do with all this history, not know what to do with all of the lost dreams, all of that. It's yeah. really complex. Yeah, talk about that a little bit too, because I think the idea that you, I think most people when they get married have this vision of what the future together looks like. And so what is that like when you get to the point where you're like, oh, that's no longer going to happen. I know for me, it was like, I didn't even know how to interact with my my ex. Yeah, I didn't know how to talk to her at that point. I'm like, what, you know, it just felt uncomfortable and awkward and... Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the hard parts about divorce, and of course there are those handful of times where, um, you know, there's two people who are both saying, you know, are on the same page and and are both saying this is best for both of us and it's this amicable conscious uncoupling, whatever, (laughs) you know, like, but I think that most of the time there's one party that's not wanting it. There's one party that is feeling rejected or Mm. betrayed or... And so in that sense, I think divorce, it's a, it's a trauma, you know, at least for one party, but usually for both parties. And uh, because it's a trauma, I think people's survival instincts come out, which is messy. Yeah. It's really messy. And the, here's this person that's probably been closer to you than anyone in your life, and you've trusted more than anyone in your life. And so splitting from that person can feel so primal 
in mm. so many ways. And I think that there's so much um, just overflow of the worst of who we are in oh, those gosh, situations, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really vulnerable. And then so how do you move through that in a way that respects uh, the future that you still have to share together? How do you not wound and harm one another more already? It's really tricky. And yeah. so, and then, you know, if you're, so in my case, I, I didn't want a divorce. Mm. And so to be able to go through life, this perpetual rejection, it just felt like living in the shadow of this just continuous rejection for the rest of my life. And how do I heal and recover from that when I have to keep on being re-injured? And how do I, those were hard questions. But, you know, interestingly enough for me, and I, I don't know if I'm taking this in a direction that you don't want to, but... No, go for it. For me, <laughs> it wasn't the fu- the loss of the future that hurt so badly. I think that was more for, around my kids. It was it was the loss of, my, of what I knew my kids were losing. That was hard. But for me, it was the loss of the past. It was all of a sudden, like, every memory that we made together, the births of my children, the, all of the Christmases, the vacations, the inside jokes, all of the, you know, intimate moments, all of those things suddenly felt tainted. Yes. And so I felt like I had this story and all of a the sudden there was just this big black blotch of ink all throughout the story. And it felt almost like I, I lost my future. That I expected. Yeah. I didn't expect, I didn't know what to do with the fact that I lost my past. And that was a lot harder for me. Gosh, that's, that's really interesting because, yeah, I, I completely identify with that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I, I think moving forward becomes very difficult at that point too, at least initially, because you don't, you don't know where to go. Yeah. Like, how do I take a step forward? Like, I don't like, you're right. Because I think the first thing that I grieved was the loss of the ability to go home and share my day with that person yeah. or, Oh, it's very lonely. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a big thing too that I would love to hear your take on. Um, I felt very, very isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I moved out into my own place for the first time in like eight years, um, where we're presently recording. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if if more houses fall, continue to fall through. Anyway, <laughs> um, um, that's a different story. But um, but yeah, I just I remember, and I remember thinking, you know, this might be very different if this had happened in my twenties. Yeah. Cause then there's a chance that some of my friends are still single right, right. and available. And, but like at 40, well, 39, uh, at the time, uh, almost all of my friends are married or have yeah. kids and have lives and are busy. And so it felt like it was very easy to be sitting here by myself when I don't have my daughter right. and like just sitting in my thoughts. And so what was that like for you? And how do you, how do you avoid that trap? Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think there's a, before you answer though, I think yeah. there's, I think there's something very good and healthy to, um, learning to be comfortable uh, alone yeah. again, uh, and, and giving yourself space and time to process. But I think there's also a time where you're like, I, I have to get up and do life. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, I, I had my kids most of the time. So that took up a lot of energy. I think it was isolating in that it felt, um, well, part of growing up as I did and having the view that I did, it just felt almost, how do I take a step forward into a life that I feel is subpar? 
Mm. How do I take, how do I step forward into a life that feels doomed? You know, it's just those kinds of questions. I think that the, it's harder to feel, I was lonely for a partner, but I was with my kids a lot. And I do have to say my, my community was incredible. Um, you know, as part of a church um, that really gathered around me and took care of me. And I mean, back to what we were talking about before is it's, it's such, it's a trauma, you know, in so many ways. And so I really, I needed care, you know, and so I really was supported. And even, you know, when I went through sort of my deconstruction time and even today, one of the, the ambivalence, you know, points of ambivalence I feel about not leaving the church is the way that they took care of me through my divorce. Interesting. They, uh, you know, there's just this part of me that's like, man, if I am in a crisis, I want the church around me um, yeah. because they took care of me. And I know that's not everyone's experience. Yeah, yeah. I was in a particularly beautiful church and with beautiful pastors. So that was a good experience. So I guess I didn't feel as much the... Um, the loneliness in that way, but the isolation of feeling like, you know, I can no longer be my dream for my life. I can no longer be the mother. I was a homeschool mom. Oh, I mean, wow. I was, a, I was homeschooling my children. I was a leader in the church. I was, and all of a sudden, here I am, like, living the single mom life, and there's no way. I mean, you just cannot do, you know, I can't buy all the organic food and homeschool my kids. <laughs> yeah. And do, like, I just couldn't be the mom that I wanted to do. And just feeling always sort of, you know, paling in comparison to the image of my life and my motherhood and, you know, what I wanted to be as a, as a woman, as a person. And so isolation in that sense, I suppose. Okay. That's interesting because I, I think a lot of people have had the opposite experience where the church yeah. was not supportive. Yeah. And so it's interesting to hear you say that, like, you grew up with a certain view of divorce mm-hmm. and felt like extra weight because you're the daughter of you know, two pastors, not just one. I just had one. Yeah. You know, my mom <laughs> hated being, like, the pastor's wife. Well, and both of my brothers are now pastors. So every single person in my whole family was So funny. Yeah. And I remember seeing you preach, actually, at Central Vineyard yeah. at one point when you had long hair days. But I think that there's, you know, like... When you go through a divorce, it's really hard for all of your baggage not to get dragged through the mud. It was such an exposing time. And so I think more than isolation, it just felt, uh, I felt so exposed. I felt like everybody was watching. I felt like everybody knew all of the worst about me. Yes. You know, and so I think in my case is different in that, you know, like I said, my, my situation was very black and white in a sense, like I had biblical grounds for divorce, you know, so there wasn't that sense of judgment, but there definitely was a sense that like, now my life will be doomed and my children will be doomed, um, especially my children. I mean, I think I struggled with that even more so, like they're from a broken home now, mm. you know, and just those sort of, it felt like a death sentence in some ways, like will forever be playing catch-up now to be able to be a flourishing family or flourishing people even because of this blow that we've now experienced. And so, I don't know, it's a little bit different, it sounds like, than what you're saying, but but certainly. And I think that, you know, even with that exposure of feeling like, ironically, my husband and I were led the marriage ministry in our church, you know, so this feeling of like, I'm a fraud, too. Oh, yeah, you know, I was yeah. a lead and I can't even make my marriage work. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, 
it, it just felt like such a colossal failure. Now, my church didn't do that to me. I carried that. And part of that is the weight that was put on marriage and divorce. So part of it is theologically just sort of what I was raised with. But it did. I don't think it came from the people around me, so to speak. Interesting. Yeah. That is a little different, I it think. It is different. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but I was in a very, very sweet church. Yeah, you were. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think the common, the common theme, though, that I think most uh, divorcees probably identify with is the 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 lies that you start to tell yourself. Yeah. I think and I know for me it was um I'm sure and, and this and Jamie would agree with this, my 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 ex, um, we're in a very good place now. Yeah. So um which is good and we're both very thankful for that. Yeah. Um to be like as you said earlier, being able to successfully co parent and and get to a level where you can be friends again and be an example for like I as as weird as it is to say, like a healthy Yeah divorce, you know, but, um, Which even hearing that healthy divorce, there was a time in my life when I would have bristled against that, like, yes. you know, just even rejected that that was, you know, where I almost had, I, I was the one, I had so much judgment yeah. against divorce, you know? And so that then was boomeranged back on myself Yeah, because this is, this is a colossal failure in my life. And so I think, um, what I was going to say, I think, is is then you start to tell yourself certain things that uh, aren't true. Yeah. Uh, and I think we talk about it in the the prior episode where the, you know the lies you tell yourself, whether they're self imposed or whether things said out of anger, you know, perhaps like as you're leading towards the split, where you know neither side really means it, but there's obviously a lot of hurt and anger yeah. and, and sadness, and and so how do you process through that? And start to kind of push those those lies that you tell yourself to the side in in an effort to heal. Um, how did I do that? Or yeah, how? <laughs> yeah. not the therapist. Um, you, yeah, right. You, That's you. what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you want me to speak as counselor, Chelsea? Or <laughs> no, just um, Chelsea, Chelsea. Yeah, I mean a lot of counseling. <laughs> I was in a lot of counseling. Yeah. You know, just like, but you know, and I think one of the hardest parts for me was being able to look at my part in it. Um, because it was one of those like biblically grounded, you know, it's like very easy to sort of demonize him, Mm. you know, but being able to say, um, where did I fail him here? You know, and I don't mean that in any sort of like shaming way for myself, but I think in a way to be able to ask that question in a way that it's also okay. It's also okay. That you failed, you know, it's also okay. So I think on the one hand, to be able to have this incredible self-compassion, I mean, a huge fan of self-compassion now and curiosity, yeah, self-compassion and curiosity to be able to look at the truth of what happened and also to, to hear the other perspective and all of that. And so how do you move on from, you know, the lies about yourself? I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. For me to not just feel like, and it's still, I'm, it's, I'm still doing that. I mean, I, I'm remarried now. Yeah, we'll get and, to that. Okay. Don't skip ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. How dare you? Yeah, <laughs> but even, I mean, that comes up all the time. You know, it comes up all the time that yeah. I, I go to the place very quickly of, don't leave me. Please don't leave me. You oh, know, wow. there's just a tremendous amount of fear, you know, that I carry with me that I'm still dealing with. Yeah. Of just what it means to make that commitment again, you yeah. know, and the amount of risk. 
I mean, we can go there now, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> Since talk I about brought it up. Yeah. So so um, <clears throat> I'm obviously in a very different stage of the of the process. You know, um, you know, just a year removed. Yeah. Um, and and it's been oh, you know, some I don't know how long, but for you, but you've now just recently, mm-hmm. and your pictures are amazing, by the yeah, way. Thank you. Love it. Um, Nick Fancher. Woo-woo. Oh God, yeah, he did ours too. Yeah. Um, but um, talk about like the process leading up to that, because obviously there's probably some hesitation. Yeah. Um, you obviously put a great deal of work in, <laughs> in therapy, and so like, so how do you prepare yourself for like taking the leap a second time and telling yourself, "Hey, I deserve a second shot at this." Hmm. I don't know that I would say I deserve a second shot at this. I think that it's. You know, it's a lot of hard work of saying every single choice that we make in our life, no matter what it is, is a risk. And it's more about um, believing that I have the resource to weather whatever happens as a result of that risk, you know, and and being able to, you know, I'm going to start using all the counselor buzzwords <laughs> right now, being able to be differentiated in that relationship enough that I allow him to really be a person with his own trajectory and choices and that we're both working hard on the relationship. You know, I mean, that was one of the big, I described to you what I viewed marriage as before. And I think one of the things, one of the ways I really wronged my ex-husband was, um, and uh, unintentionally, but, you know, I had so much intensity around what I thought marriage was supposed to be and what our life was going to be that I couldn't give him the space to be able to be a person in the way that he needed to be a person. You know, there was so much pressure to, to go to church and to believe the right things. And I didn't mean to put that pressure on him, but it was because there was so much fear in me. I was so threatened by his potential breaking away from that. And so I think that it, it ended up being a very stifling environment for him mm. when, you know, he was probably trying to deconstruct. He yeah. was probably, and I wouldn't let him. Yeah. I wouldn't let him, you know, and I, that caused a lot of pain, you know. And so since then to be able to go through what was one of, you know, I think because of the sort of intensity I had around marriage, I experienced my divorce as uh, like I said, a death sentence because it was like, this is the one thing. This is the you know, so when that fell apart, um, it was sort of like the worst thing I could be going through, you know, in a sense. And so coming through that and doing the work to realize I am resilient. There's yeah. still life here. God is still here. There's beauty. There's, you know, there's delight. There's all of these things. And then getting into another relationship and, and experiencing all of that fear, but realizing you know, it's not really about deserve. It's about here, this opportunity is for me. And can I trust myself enough that I can be vulnerable? I can be vulnerable again. And, you know, that's always, you know, when I, when I talk to my clients now, that's, we talk about anxiety is made of uh, two things. It's made of an underestimation, well, an overestimation of danger Mm. and an underestimation of resource. You know, and so to be able to, one, okay, we can decrease the danger, but the truth of the matter is that my marriage could fall apart a second time, and that's terrifying, and this person could leave me a second time, and that's terrifying, but to realize also that I have more resource than I, than I thought I did, and I have more selfhood than I thought I did, that's what allowed me to do it again, that I can get through it. Yeah. And, 
you know, because what I, what I learned about who I am as a person. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. <laughs> well, what's interesting too is, is, um, <clears throat> I haven't known you for a super long time, but I've known you for, for a, a number of years now and seeing, watching you from a distance and seeing, uh, the period after your divorce, mm. I would imagine that, and I would love to hear your opinion on this because, um, I think it's an interesting thing to know is that you did get married so young. Mm-hmm. And so your entire identity as an adult for the most part is as a married person. And so then you find yourself single, Yeah, and for, you know, and so you probably had this very valuable period of time yeah. <laughs> to find yourself and um, figure out who you are yeah. prior to uh, meeting someone who, you know, would eventually become your, your husband. Yeah. Yeah, and that was extremely valuable. Um, I mean, that's sort of you know, I went to school, I went to grad school as a forty-year-old, and you know, and then that's when I went through a sort of a deconstruction period. You know, where it's like all of a sudden I have this this space to be able to sort of figure out who I am because I have all of this. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like the it's like the stripping away that allows you to ask that. Yeah. So uh, that was really valuable, and it, it, that was a big deal for me because I, my husband, when I first started dating him, was not a Christian. Interesting. And that was a no-no. <laughs> that was not something that young Chelsea would have done. Um, and so, you know, I think to discover uh, there are all these rules that we live by, and the rules, you know, that's one of the things as a counselor that it's— um, it's been interesting to see these rules that I lived by my whole life and to investigate them more deeply and to see that there really is, there really is great benefit to staying married and to working through things. And it, from a secular point of view, there's mm-hmm. just gorgeous things to discover there and healing to discover there. And yet when then we sort of say, well, this is a rule and this is God ordained and we don't go any deeper than that, not only do we sort of short circuit the side that says, um, that allows us to know why, why is this sacred? Why is this holy? But then on the other side, we make it black and white so that there's no gray area in it. There's no rigidity. And so things like that, you know, like, well, dating a non-Christian, you know, this, you're unequally yoked and this is black and white. And, yeah. it's, and to begin to experience what it is to really ask deep questions about what, um, what honoring the divine in myself looks like and being really honest about why and asking good questions and walking out if you you know if you're a person of faith walking out relationship with god rather than being uh so rigidly rooted in the rules that then sort of dis- destroy relationship whether it's you know vertical or horizontal yeah so I feel like I'm rambling, but <laughs> no, that's great. That's all good stuff. So I, I, I do have two two final questions for you. Okay. Uh, number one is um, what what are your takeaways? Like, if you could offer advice to anyone listening out there um, who either might be going through a divorce or um, has gone through a divorce and is kind of walking through that kind of treacherous territory, like yeah. what advice? What takeaways do you have? What are some things that you found helpful? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think counseling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> counseling is, I think it's really helpful. I think giving yourself the, 
the validation that this is really, this is a trauma and to treat it as such and to allow yourself that, you know, I say to a lot of people, like, how would you be viewing this if you were going through a death? And again, not to compare or belittle, uh, you know, everybody's pain is, is everybody's pain, but to be able to ask yourself, I remember somebody asked me that question, how would you be treating yourself and what, what would you be doing for yourself and what, what help would you be accepting, you know, if you're going through a death and being able to view it in those terms and really think about it in terms of going through a trauma and getting the kind of support that you would need were you going through that. I think that that's, it's critical. Um, and to do the work at the front end before you start dating and before you start getting in relationships and just trying to fill that hole, you know, to really figure out uh, what the what the lies are that you're believing, what your self-talk is, what what how it formed you, how going through that process uh, made you see others in the world and yourself. And I think that's all really critical and important. But I, but you know, I mean, on the other hand, there's life after. And, you know, God is so incredibly spacious. You know, I said that about my dad earlier. He's a spacious yeah. person. And I just, I think the spaciousness of God is so remarkable, you know. And so the, there is room. There is room for not only a subpar life, but there is room <laughs> for a beautiful, you know, life. And even use your divorce as something to grow. You know, we talk about in the business post-traumatic stress disorder, but also post-traumatic growth. And, I, you know, I remember sitting with a counselor and them saying to me, you can come out of this a bag of bones or you can come out of this a strong, resilient person. Which one do you want? Wow. And, you know, I think that's all of our choice, no matter whether it's divorce or, or death or any crisis, you know. So there is life after. <laughs> That's great. Um, And so your final question, and you can answer this from therapist Chelsea if you want. Okay, okay. So one of the things that that I feel very strongly like I need to dispel um, is this notion that, and this was not our experience to be clear. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. um, Marriage is where it is very unhealthy, and I'm talking like abuse and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, I've seen people... uh, where they've been told that, yeah. well, you got to stick it out. You got to stay, yeah. Does God want us to be? Oh, man. That is in there. so, so tragic. You know, and I, 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 I do still think of marriage as very sacred, and I do still think of marriage as just a beautiful thing. And I think there, there's so many reasons to work through, but there really is a reality to the fact that, you know, living with and being in relationship with somebody who is destructive to you is um, that doesn't that doesn't uh, that doesn't uh, support the kind of God that I've experienced and not only that not only that but when you just look at what the research says there 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 is something imperative remember what earlier when I said what does it mean to honor the divine within me Right, And sometimes honoring the divine is being able to confront that ego state that you're in and say, I need to work towards loving this person. And that's really important. And that is what is going to lead us to wholeness. But there are other times when saying yes to the divine means saying, I will not be damaged any longer. I will not allow 
someone else to treat me this way any longer. And that is the holy thing. And I think, again, it's back to what I said about by making our life of faith or our spiritual life this thing of rules, we can so easily boil down um, these kinds of decisions as right-wrong rather than really asking the deep, hard questions of what is happening here and where is life and where is beauty and where is wholeness. And so in your question, to respond to your question in a much more complex way, yeah. um, no, you know, I think that that's an important question. Is, is there, is there uh, a, an erasure or a destruction of selfhood happening here where some one person is being put on the altar of another person's ego? And that's just, that, is, that cannot be holy. No. So. Yeah, and I think once you add in, once you add in the complexity of if you happen to be in a situation like that and there are kids involved, yeah, there's that whole element of um, them being raised in an environment where that's their model. Yeah. And and then you get into the whole concept of generational um, trauma yeah. and, and this cycle, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, it's very complex too. Absolutely. Because, you know, um, <laughs> You know, and this is why divorce, I mean, it really is tragic. It really is tragic because, you know, what does that mean then for kids when you're not there with them and they are with another, you know, person who's destructive? There's so many factors involved in making this decision. And to have somebody that asks good questions and really honors the the personhood of everyone in that family and how that's going to move forward. And, and as a woman in, in a Christian environment that didn't have a career, that was dependent on my husband, that was, there was so many questions to ask in this, you know, how, how is this going to affect? I mean, I, I have clients that are single moms that have to go out and get two jobs to, to support their kids. This is an impossible choice. Is it better to stay in the environment where you know, you're not treated well or where your kids don't have a parent at home. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah. And yeah. yet I think that, you know, the, the church has been traditionally, um, a little, <laughs> a little bit too, um, quick to dismiss yes. how destructive, um, people can be to each other. I mean, if we saw a parent that was regularly demeaning, or controlling to a child, we would have something to say about it. Sure. And yet we sort of excuse it in the name of biblical marriage, you know, and, and that's yeah. not that's not good for us either. Yeah. So there's a bigger yeah. conversation to be had. Have me back. We'll have that conversation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right, I'm gonna get on my counseling, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> soapbox. And it's 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 hard. I'm so reluctant to go there because I don't I, I believe in not just from a biblical standpoint, but I believe in the, the hard work of working through your ego, working through your baggage with another person and differentiating from the other person and forming an attachment and all of that stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. And yet there's two people involved. Yeah. And no person should uh, have to uh, subject themselves to the loss of their selfhood or the destruction of their selfhood. Um, in the name of biblical marriage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're saying like God you're, you're wants us to be going. happy. You're going to get me going. Yeah, no, don't call me on saying that. No, I don't. <laughs> no. Ha- happy is too shallow. Yeah, God that's wants true. us to be whole. Yeah, I think. 
God wants us to be whole. And there are situations where one partner is is compromising that ability, that person's ability to function adaptively when you're re-traumatized and re-traumatized by someone. It is, a, it is not only um, important for you that you say, I'm no longer going to be treated like this, but it's equally as important for the other person. I, I really believe that. You know, it's yeah. equally important for to in a marriage where there is abuse, emotional abuse included, to say to the other person, I won't let you treat me that way. And that can be a profound act of love even. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so sometimes drawing a hard line in the sand that says you are better than this. Yeah. You know, or you, sh- you can be better than this, I think can be loving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Both to ourselves <laughs> and the person and our children, right? So... Anyway, I'm going to start preaching here in a second. (laughs) No, this was great. This was so fun. Um, And I I really appreciate you coming on. I know this is a a fairly vulnerable topic to discuss because it's very personal. And and so um, I just appreciate you coming on and and, and sharing your perspective. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll have you back on for sure. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Chelsea. We are back with a new perspective. So first half of the podcast, we got the female perspective. Chelsea uh, was kind enough to come on. That was amazing. And so now I have my friend Ryan. Yeah. Ryan, uh, we're going to do our best to do the male perspective justice. So (laughs) we got this, man. Come on. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Um, So before we get into it, uh, tell people a little bit about who you are and kind of what you do and your background. Yeah. Well, I am uh, I am trivocational, believe it or not. <laughs> if you've ever heard of such a thing, I have three jobs. My primary role, I'm the Senior Director of Communications and Facilities for the Ronald McDonald House here in Columbus. That's what I do full-time. Uh, I have a crazy side hustle where I started a craft brewery in Columbus with a friend of mine. Uh, and I also am uh, the music leader at my church, uh, Central City Church here in Columbus. That's wild. And the beer one's the most important one, in my opinion. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Kids first. I mean, totally fine, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The beer is quite good. So thank you. Uh, and what's the, the brewery so people can go check it out? Olentangy River Brewing Company. There you go. Yeah. We're in Lewis Center, so uh, we're on the north side of town. Excellent. It's it's fantastic beer. I went there on my, my 40th birthday. Yeah, good recall. man. Thank you for that. Yeah, that was the first stop, so... <laughs> For a bus full of people. Uh, so anyway. We love buses full of people. That's <laughs> it's great. I showed up and I was like, I've got like 20 people. Let's, uh, let's do this. But, um, but yeah, so, so talk a little bit about, um, because obviously the topic is the topic of divorce and uh, kind of how our upbringing kind of influenced our perspective on it and ultimately, you know, how we dealt with uh, the divorces that we went through. So talk a little bit about your your upbringing, your religious upbringing, and, and kind of what was the view on the topic of divorce? Well, for me, divorce wasn't an option ever. I grew up uh, Catholic, and we were uh, a pretty faithful family. We went to church and went through CCD and all of that good stuff, if anybody out there is Catholic understands. Um, but then when I got uh, confirmed, I was allowed to make a decision for myself, and I decided I didn't want to go to church anymore. And uh, it wasn't until I got into high school where I got involved with Young Life that I really started to understand faith uh, on a personal level. 
Uh, and then in college, I got really involved with Young Life. I was a, a volunteer. I worked at the summer camps. I was I was that guy. I was a Young Life guy. Yeah. Um, and then when I got into my career, uh, I originally, once I graduated from college, I, uh, I went and worked at an ad agency. Didn't love that. Um, and had an opportunity to be a youth minister uh, for a couple of years and then got into a groove of being a worship leader. Um, and then that kind of opened up a bunch of doors for me. I uh, made a living as a recording artist for, for about five years. Um, I've recorded and released a lot of records. And um, But I, my religious upbringing is, is kind of unique. I, I led worship at a reform church. Then I went to a PCUSA church. Then I went to a Southern Baptist church that was uh, sort of disguised. Um, <laughs> and then I was at a PCA church. And, uh, and then I went to a non-denom. And now I'm part of a, uh, a Methodist church. So I've, I've been across the whole board, everything you could imagine. That's amazing. So, so divorce not not an option, obviously, growing up, and and there's a whole other I, I know element vaguely uh, um, annulments or, or, or something that you have to you know in order to remarry. <clears throat> so there's a whole other added complication with that. But um, so growing up, obviously, that was that was something you just didn't do. Yeah. And so uh, so let's let's fast forward. So how how old were you when you when you got married? Well, I was uh, I was a senior in college uh, when I asked my ex wife to to marry me, and she was a sophomore in college. So, as you can imagine, um, and and you know, in communities like Young Life, and this isn't a, a slam on Young Life. Young Life's a great thing, but um, there really is a premium that's put on pairing off and getting married, and um, and all of our friends were doing that, and and we did too, and we thought it was a beautiful thing, and and it was. It was yeah. great. Um, you know, the the idea of uh, starting a family and being committed to one another was exciting. Uh, it was something that we believed in, and we uh, we bought into it. And uh, it was it was not a bad thing. It was a wonderful thing. And um, but yeah, marriage was something that I I bought into from a very early age, and I, I really thought that that was what I was supposed to do. It was my sort of my destiny, you know, that's, that's what's instilled in us that, Hey, you're supposed to be a husband, be a father. And that's what you do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so what, what does that mean exactly? Like what, like what was, what was your impression of like, what was the vision? Like, what does it mean to be a, a good, like godly husband and that sort of thing? Like, I'm sure there was some standard in in the back of your mind. Yeah. I, um, I really thought that, that marriage was going to be the answer to all of my problems. Mm. Um, for young men, uh, I think that sexuality is something that is a very unique challenge, uh, especially within the context of the church. And uh, I, I didn't really know how to relate to sexuality as a single young dude in the church. Um, and the answer to that in my mind was, you get married, sure, because then you can have sex and it's okay. We made then, that joke during, during Chelsea's, right? Yeah, and then and then that's going to that's going to solve all of it, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think the the mistake that I made, and I think other people make too, is that all of the baggage that you carry into a marriage 
you just bring it in and then you dump it out for somebody else to have to sort through. Mm. And then it becomes part of their baggage. And, and then you have this weird mess of junk that you have to deal with. Sure. And um, somebody the other day told me, they said, you know, marriage counseling should be something that people talk about before they get engaged. Yes. It really doesn't make a lot of sense that you go through marriage counseling after you've already made <laughs> right. the commitment to one another. Right. Really, you should probably think about that a lot earlier so that you can decide, does it make sense for us to get married? And that blew my mind. I hadn't even thought of it that way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of think that's what premarital counseling is intended to do, but so many people either don't do it or they, they skip through it. And I just remember uh, when we when we went through it, it forced me to think about a lot of things that I hadn't even considered, like things that that you know this counselor of ours knew we were going to confront uh, sooner than later. You know, like have you talked about kids? If so, how many? When? You know, like do you guys want to have a smaller house so you can travel more, or do you want to have a bigger house and not travel as much? Like, who's going to take care of finances? Are you guys going to have joint accounts or separate accounts? If so, who's in charge of paying the bills? And like all this stuff, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like. Never thought about any of that. And that's just the, you know, the easy stuff compared to what you really get into when you get married. Right. <laughs> right. So th- they don't ask you the question, so how are you going to respond when you see your spouse get emotional? Yeah. Or how do you deal with sickness in your family? That's something that we struggled with in our marriage. There's There are all kinds of things that that are built into the structure of who you are that you carry into a relationship that can be landmines if you're, if you're not aware of it. And yeah. I think um, for my ex and I, we were, we were married for uh, 18 and a half years. We were almost married for 20 years. We were together for over 20 years. So we lived our entire adult lives growing yeah. up together. Wow. And we... We really, we didn't know who we were when we got married. And we kind of found ourselves in the process of our lives. And, and in a lot of ways, that's a beautiful thing. But in, in other ways, it's, it's a huge challenge. Because yeah. once you start figuring out who you are, how do you reconcile the fact that I've got this other person who I'm supposed to be loving and serving with everything that I've got? Yeah, but maybe I've become something a little bit different than what I was when we first fell in love. How do you deal with that yeah. as, as a married couple? I mean, what what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, that, I mean, it's it's funny because my my, um, my my marriage story is completely different. Where I, I was thirty when I got married, so mm-hmm. I was I was much older. I'd gone through my twenties as a single person, essentially. And, um, and so for me, I think part of me was like, Oh, I'm turning 30. Like everybody around me is married and having kids. And I knew I always wanted to have a family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so to this day, there's a, there's a guilt that I feel where I, I question myself. I'm like, you know, was that a, a factor that played into the decision to, to get married in the first place? Yeah. You know, well, the answer has to be yes. Right. Yeah. So the, the way that the community around us impacts us and the mm-hmm. way that we relate to a relationship like that is paramount for me when, when I was going through the process of feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to get married. Everybody else around me was either already married or getting married soon. Which is and, crazy. But it's, but it was, 
an incredible amount of, I think, affirmation of the thought that, yes, it is right for me to get married, but also a subtle uh, sort of countdown of, I better get married. Yeah. Everybody else is getting married around me. If I don't get married soon, I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. Right. And there is that palpable fear of, I just don't want to be alone. Right. Either either the fear of being alone or, or or the fear of acknowledging like well what does that say about me am I broken am I am I incapable of being loved or loving you know there, there's a whole series of questions that you start to ask yourself I think yeah um so that's so crazy and by the way like you didn't get to hear the first so so Ryan walked in right as Chelsea and I were finishing our interview so you didn't get to hear the first part but like your stories uh. Are, are so crazy similar. Oh, yeah. She got married when she was 21. Okay. Was married for 17 years. Huh. And has three kids. And That's you also. Awesome. Yeah, I've got three kids. <laughs> and and my kids are my life. I absolutely love my children. Yeah. Um, and I would never trade anything for them. And I'm I'm so thankful for the time that, uh, that I had with my ex-wife and the time that we spent together. And um, and then the fruit of that with these kids um, is something, it's the greatest blessing that I have in my life. And um, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. I, I think that's important to say. We didn't really get into the kids uh, portion as much when Chelsea and I were talking. But um, just the the idea that I wouldn't have Fiona, for example, my daughter, um, who is just my favorite human being, bar none, you know, um, just just brings me joy on a daily basis. I, I just love uh, her and being a parent and being her dad, you know, and I would not, she wouldn't be who she is without having Jamie's DNA and my DNA. Right. And and we both fortunately have a good enough relationship at this point where we both acknowledge that and we're like, Hey, this was a gift. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that our marriage didn't work, um, this was a gift and we need to acknowledge that and, and accept the fact that like she wouldn't be who she is without, you know, that, that crazy mix, you know? Yeah. The, for me, uh, the greatest role in my life is being a father. Yeah. I am. It's my favorite thing. I absolutely love it. And I will tell you the, uh, the deepest pain that I've experienced in divorce is that I don't see my kids 50% of the time. Same. And it is, I can't even describe the pain that, you know, laying in bed, at night, thinking about the fact that my kids aren't here and my house is so empty and what is going on? It's, it's so disorienting. Um, it's emotionally confusing. And, uh, I wish, I wish there was a way to undo that. I wish that I could not have to deal with that. That is the thing that, uh, is the, is the deepest pain and consequence that I've dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would echo that. And I I think you don't really realize that like, like, you know, like, okay, we're, we're going to go through this divorce. Um, things are going to change, but I don't know, at least for me, um, that I understood the gravity of the fact that, um, I don't have help, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm a very hands-on dad, but like anybody who is a single parent will tell you, I don't care how hands-on you are, <laughs> when you don't have someone else there to like, you know, tag in occasionally, it's it's tough. And oh, then, it's a totally different ball game, man. Yeah, totally different. It's like you know, you are you are the parent. Um, but but to that, like to your point, um, 
yeah, I don't think I realized the, the impact or the implications of it until, you know, I was living in my own place and, and Fiona was not with me for the first time. And that was the first time since she was born that I, you know, had spent that much time apart from her and it was not easy at all. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get feel that. you, man. I feel <laughs> you. It, and it's, and I, I think also seeing the, seeing the hurt in them. Yeah. Um, I've, my kids are a little older than yours. I've got uh, a 15 year old son and almost 11 year old daughter and six year old daughter. And they, they can experience that in a myriad different ways. Yeah. And looking them in the eye and knowing that the demise of our relationship has been the source of what will probably be the greatest pain of their life is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And um, I am doing my very best as a dad to love them and care for them in the midst of that. And I always will. Uh, but man, it is a, it is a hard thing to look in the eyes of your child and to say in your heart, man, I wish that I, I, I wish that you didn't have to go through this and know that you are the source of that thing that just hurts for them. Yeah. Because you would, I'm sure you would do anything to help your daughter. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No question. What, I, I would love, I love, I love that we organically went this direction because this is not in my notes at all, but, <laughs> but like, that's why I said, I'm like, I just want to go where this goes, you know, and, and follow the thread. Um, but I think this is important because I know there are people out there who are listening who have gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce where kids are in play. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think for me, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this and what, like, cause I'm sure there's some things that, that you did in the process of going through the divorce, you and I both started going through a divorce right around the same time. Yeah. Um, my ex-wife and I, uh, made the early decision where, you know, we were concerned and, and our daughter is six and it was five at the time. And we, maybe she was six at the time. I don't know. Time is irrelevant, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we decided let's take her to a counselor just to make sure that we didn't completely ruin her. You know? Yeah. So we're like, did, we, the, we can screw each other up, but let's not screw our, our child up. You know? So we took her to, to, to therapy and it was, it was interesting because I think at least for us now, this is be, probably be completely different with, with older kids who are a little bit more aware of what, what's going on. Cause I still don't think that Fiona, you know, at her age fully grasped, you know, what was happening. And so I remember we, we tried to tell her together and we said, you know, mommy and daddy still love each other, just not in the way that two people who, you know, are married, um, should love each other. Um, we're going to live in different places, but you'll, you know, we, we tried to play it like, but you'll have a bedroom in both places. <laughs> and she yeah. was like, I remember we bribed her with like a happy meal, you know, and we're like, we're both just freaking out. And, and she's sitting there eating and she's like, okay, okay. So how do you feel about that? She's like, wait, so I get two rooms? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that was it. You know, I'm like, okay, she doesn't get In it. In the economy of a child, that's like a great thing, right? So She's like, wait, I doubled up my right. my profits here? Okay. <laughs> right. But like since then, it's it's been kind of tricky because then I think it wasn't until like a month or two later where she realized that like um, she really wanted mommy and daddy to be together at the same time and it just wasn't possible. And then there was one night where she got really upset, you know, and I think she realized that, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, as a result, we started taking her uh, to this 
child therapist and trying to make sure that we were doing the things uh, like the best we could in the right way uh, to prevent, you know, any more damage from occurring. Um, so, so what are some things that like, I'm sure like you had your conversations with your kids, yeah, which is I'm sure completely different with older kids, especially mm-hmm. a teenager. So talk about that a little bit. Going through the process of our marriage ending um, was, it was extremely traumatic for me. Um, I was blindsided by the situation. It was not my choice. Um, I believe wholeheartedly that I equally contribute to the end of my marriage. I'm not saying it was her fault. I'm just saying uh, it wasn't something that I was looking for, and it it came out of nowhere for me. Mm. Um, In hindsight, I should have probably been more aware. I think I was kind of blinding myself to the reality of the situation. But um, then I went through... Uh, a an extremely dark season, personally, and I know that my kids were watching me as I was experiencing that uh, the deepest pain of my life, and I was conscious of the fact that I need to be careful about how this is going to impact them. But at the same time, I was struggling through how do you control this emotion that I feel? I don't know what to do. And in those moments, what I decided was best was to be honest, to be transparent as much as possible. I mean, kids don't need to know everything, but right. yeah. um, but also to listen and allow them to share their heart. So one of the things that I do with my kids when I take them to bed every night is um, I'll lay down with them in bed and we'll... Um, we'll talk a little bit and I'll always ask them questions and, uh, I would, I would just ask some open-ended questions that allowed them the chance to share their heart in the way that felt comfortable for them. And then I listened and my kids would cry Hmm. and it was hard. And sometimes I would cry too. Uh, but in those moments, what I would say to them was it hurts daddy too. And I know it hurts mommy too. And I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I wish this wasn't happening too. And I love you. And we're going to figure this out together. Okay. And that somehow brought comfort to them. Mm. And it also brought comfort to me to be able to look them in the face and say, we're going to figure this out together. Yeah. And now, you know, a year and a half later, I feel like uh, we have come to a much different place where, you know, there's still pain, still hurts, and it's going to hurt them probably the rest of their lives in some way. But there also is a lot to be joyful about for them. And and they overwhelmingly seem excited about life. And um, my my ex-wife bought a house that's like a half mile from my house. And so they can like, they can ride their bikes or scooters back and forth. And so sometimes, you know, that happens and, and, you know, it's not ideal. It's not what I hoped for in my life, but it's also not so bad. Yeah. There's a lot that I can be thankful for. Yeah. I I would completely agree with that. I think initially I was just like, I think there's a period of time that you go through where you're like, I don't know, how to take, 
how do you even take the next step? You know, like you have to learn how to crawl and then walk again, kind of. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is. What do I do? You know? And, and so for me, it was just like, I just have to put one foot in front of the other. And, and, and right now the best I can do is process what's happening in the moment. And then eventually we'll get back to, you know, thinking further ahead, I guess. So I think for me it was, okay, so like we haven't lived on our own for almost 10 years now. So it's going to be relearning how to, to do that, you know, um, and, and to be a single dad is going to be a brand new experience. And so let's just try to focus on that and be the best single dad that I can be, you know. And, and then over time, I think, you know, to your point, like I think um, my ex-wife and I have formed like a, 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 a very pleasant relationship where, you know, we're, we're very friendly and we both go to all of Fiona's school functions. We even did, I think we talked about this before we started recording because you did the same thing. We even spent holidays together. Yeah. Um, we were like, Hey, let's try this out. This would be good for Fiona. And I'm still, you know, in very good terms and, um, with her family. Um, you know, and so, um, it was good. It worked out. It worked out great. And I know not everybody can do that. And that's not even, um, feasible for some couples and probably not even recommended. But I think if you can have, uh, a relationship like that, um, not, not to say like a forced friendship, but like yeah. if you're able to do something like that, I think it's, it's great for, for your kids. I agree 100%. Yeah. I, I think uh, if it's healthy and mm. it's safe, if, if you at all can yeah. embrace the opportunity to be a moment of a family. And, and the reality is that regardless of whether or not you are still together, you are a family. Right. And that's something that I've had to learn how to embrace. I um, I have been through a lot of therapy in the last year and a half, and I'm extremely thankful for that. And uh, my psychologist has helped me to realize that um, I have to embrace my circumstances. I I was struggling deeply with judging my circumstances as either good or bad, hmm. and. I would attribute something positive or negative to every single experience that I had. I was literally self-imposing judgment on any circumstance that I encountered. Mm. And I didn't realize it. I wasn't wasn't conscious of it. And in those situations, uh, my therapist would confront me in our conversations. He would say, hold on a second. Are you sure that that's bad? And... That was really disruptive to me because it was completely blowing up what I thought, how I thought the world worked. Yeah. And the answer to those questions would always be, well, I I guess I don't really know. He's like, I want to challenge you to think that maybe it's not what you think it is. Yeah. I I would say, man, I'm really struggling with anxiety. And he would say, are you sure that that's anxiety? Maybe you're excited. Maybe it's an energy that you don't really know how to respond to. Why are you attributing something negative to that? Interesting. And his, his challenge to me was, <laughs> rather than judging your circumstances as positive or negative, embrace them as simply experiences. Mm. And 
I'm telling you, that has been a mind-blowing experience that has completely changed my life uh, because I didn't realize just how judgmental I was of my own circumstances, of what maybe I had, maybe was self-imposed or was imposed by somebody else. Uh, but when I look at then the experience of what now is my family, mm-hmm. I have to embrace it as it just is. This is our context. Yeah. It is not good or bad. It just is. And that has helped me to, to reduce the bitterness that I felt in my heart, uh, to embrace the opportunity to be, uh, to care for my former wife, for my children, uh, to be together when maybe it doesn't feel super comfortable and it's a little awkward. Uh, but you know, my, my son's birthday just happened and we all went out and had pizza together and it was good. Yeah. And it was good. And it doesn't have to be, uh, uh, you versus them. It doesn't have to be full of vitriol and, and animosity. There can be peace in the midst of a totally different circumstance. But I think the key to that for me has been learning to, embrace my circumstances as simply experiences as, as opposed to judging them as good or bad. I love that. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I really like that, that idea. Um, I, one of the things I talked about with, with Chelsea earlier was, um, just this idea of, um, kind of the, the, the lies for lack of a better term that, that you inevitably begin to accept or even tell yourself, um, in the process of, of healing. So after the marriage is, is over and you're maybe sitting alone in your place for the first time and maybe some things that were said out of anger from either side that weren't necessarily true, but you know, unfortunately the, the, the reality is that divorces can be messy and bitter, even the best ones. Uh, And I, I know it's a weird thing to say best ones, but even, even the ones that are, you know, as cut and dry as you can hope. Uh, inevitably, there are still some some things that you tell yourself that um, take some time to to sift through. So, did you have a, a period of time like this where you're like, you, you you start sinking into believing certain things and realize that maybe they're not true? So, what yeah. was that like for you? Uh extremely unsettling. Um, I'm somebody that, uh, I really like to have things figured out and have <laughs> them buttoned up. Yeah. And, uh, this was, it completely obliterated any sort of sense of what I thought I was supposed to be, what I thought my family was supposed to be, what I thought other people thought I was supposed to be. Um, when, uh, when my ex-wife told me that she didn't want to be my wife anymore, um, my response was, what? And then, my, and then I immediately sunk into, this is the greatest failure of, of me there is. Yeah. And then I, I realized over a couple of months of a really dark time that... I was completely reliant upon the energy of affirmation from other people. 
for me personally. So my mentor who had, um, had been my mentor since I was 14, he still is, he's, uh, he's one of my very best friends. Um, when I was going through all of this, he was right by my side. And um, he said, man, I got to tell you, you have an overdeveloped exterior life and your inner man is just like, it's not there. Like, what are you, what are you standing on? And what I realized was that I had been propping myself up, self up with all of these accomplishments Mm. that I had had in my life and all of the things that I did to elicit a positive response from people. I was desperately seeking approval to make up for the void that I felt in myself and to, to kind of quiet the voice that was telling me that I was no good. Mm. And it was, I think, exhausting and I didn't realize it. And I think it was exhausting for my spouse who had to deal with someone who had crippling self-doubt and was desperate for approval from other people. So, of course, she was the primary one that was feeling that energy of constantly needing to get that approval. Yeah. And uh, I had to come to terms with the fact that um, I really, I really was living in a way where my, I had a facade, I had, I had a, a false self that was existing that I didn't even know was there, a mask that I would put on in any circumstance that I would access to portray what I wanted people to see. But in reality, I was, I was just desperately insecure and I needed to hear from them that I was okay. Well, that's no way to live. It's extremely manipulative. And I didn't even realize that I was doing it. So I had to come to terms with the fact that that's how I had lived really my whole life. I'm 43 years old and I came to a place where I had to reorient myself to accept who I was and allow that self to present itself. So what happened in this situation was that that false self got completely destroyed. It was obliterated. Whatever I went through in the demise of my marriage then resulted in, I can't even access it anymore. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I said, you know, I used to have this, I had this, this thing that I would do when I was feeling stress or anxiety or I was going into a situation where I had to uh, enter into something that made me feel uncomfortable. And I, and I would just put that thing on, whatever that thing was. Yeah. Maybe you can, exp- you can identify with that. And, and it just got destroyed. It's, yeah. And, and I can't even, I don't even know where it is. I can't access it anymore. I don't have the energy. I don't have the desire to do it. And now I'm forced to have to just be me. And the thing that I have realized is that's exactly what people wanted all along and really what I needed all along. And I was just too chicken to do it. Yeah. Because I was afraid that if I did that to you, that you wouldn't accept me. Yeah. But in reality, what I was doing was I was putting out something that made it really hard for you to accept me anyway, because I was creating something that was a barrier to genuine connection. And so when that barrier got destroyed, um, I've realized that, well, you know, some people are going to accept me and some people aren't. 
Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And man, that has been a life-changing thing. And I wish that I didn't have to go through divorce to have found that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just, I actually just spoke in my church and I talked about how the fact that, that pain really does have a purpose and that there can be a blessing. I know that's a, that's a weird word to use in the context of pain, but there can be a blessing that comes in that because if, if you think to the situations that have grown you the most in your life, what are those things? They are always the worst. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> every time. We, we love to think about the things that are the pinnacle moments for us, but those aren't the life-changing experiences. Never. The life-changing experiences when you're in the gutter yeah. and you don't know what to do. And then something happens. So it's, it's a mystery. I don't really understand that. I don't know why things work that way, why, why it has to be devastation that creates something that's real change inside of you, but it just is. It's real. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you said that. It made me think, because I, I always think in analogies. <laughs> so, um, it, but it made me think about like, you know, when the, when the house burns down, you're forced to look inside the rooms inside the house. You know what I mean? Like, so when the, when, when the rooms of your soul are exposed because the house burnt down, you have to look at what's going on inside. Mm. And, and it's almost like for, for me and for you and for Chelsea and for tons of other people, you know, it, it was a, a forced, almost like, almost like entering into a deconstruction was kind of almost a forced uh, moment in my life to take a look at what I believed spiritually. My divorce was a moment that forced me into a situation where I was forced to look at myself hmm. and I think uh, identify the things that I did wrong. Yeah. Uh, reevaluate um, my role in it because it always takes two, you know, I believe that and identify the things that, that I was at fault for hmm. um, and also identify things that like, Maybe I excused um, from a partner um, that probably weren't things that were a good fit for me, hmm. but um, I, I kind of didn't handle them in the best way, perhaps. And so, so it really, this last year, at least for me, has been probably one of the most formative periods in my adult life. So, and I never thought that if you asked me, you know, 20 years ago, Hey, at 40, is that going to be the year where you really, you know, <laughs> dig deep? Um, I was like, you're crazy. You know, I'm going to have like 15 kids in a house and you know, not 15 kids. It's way too much. Did you really want 15 no. kids? Oh, All God, right. no. Yeah. <laughs> Three at most. Um, so, but you know, like it, in terms of like times in your life to go through a self-evaluation, that was not on my list of to do, you know? Yeah. But you know, when you're, when you're forced into a moment where you're at home and like we talked about earlier your kids aren't here and you're sitting there alone and that way it can be good because you're forced to sit there with yourself and, and, and think about things. And I think, you know, and of course therapy has been massive. I cannot Absolutely. recommend that enough. Yes. As someone who can guide you in a healthy way through that process. Um, and then like, um, like I think you and Chelsea both mentioned community, um, I was in a weird place because I'm I'm still sort of between churches, mm -hmm. 
so I didn't necessarily have that church community, but um, I have some very uh, amazing and incredible friends and and family who who jumped in immediately um, and were like, "Yeah, we got you," you know. It's mm. um, awesome. Yeah, uh, uh, and I think that's just, I think that's huge, and I think I got lucky, and I know not everyone has that mm. because there are a lot of people who are listening who are like, the minute they probably said, "Hey, I'm getting ready to go through a divorce." Yeah, everybody shut you off. Right. Well, and, and I'll tell you, so it's it's interesting. You made me think of two things. That you talked about a house fire. And, and when when I was first going through all of this, I was I'm I, I don't I can't I can't over uh estimate the amount of just anguish that I was in. I was I was deep, man. It was it was not good. And um and I started just having these moments where, you know, call them a vision, call them a dream, whatever. I was, I was having these experiences because I just was not okay. And, um, and I had this moment, and I'll call it a vision, where um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a forest fire that was surrounding my house, okay? And uh, I, I was kind of looking over it, and inside of it was my family. And then I had a bucket of water. And I was scurrying all around the house trying to put out that fire. Mm. And then out of nowhere, I hear this voice that says, stop, let the fire come. The fire is going to heal. Mm. And when I, when I experienced that, it was disturbing because I thought, what does that, what does that mean? That, that's destruction. Right. That's, not, that's not going to heal anything. That's not, that's, not, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And, but I kept having this vision that would come back, and, I, and I, I couldn't get rid of it. And I talked to my therapist about it, and he helped me to kind of process what was going on inside of me. And, uh, but the reality is that now, in hindsight, I can see how that experience really did bring about some healing for me. Um, and, I, you know, I don't talk to my former wife about that, but I, I'm sure that on some level there was some healing for her too. Um, but I, I know that in those moments when I was at my darkest, at my, at my rock bottom, those people who were around me who could kind of step in to say, hey, let me give you just a little nugget of hope. Yeah. Let me remind you that you are worthy of love. Let me remind you that there are people that care about you, that you're not alone. Um, that, was, that was it. That's all I had. Yeah. And I'm so incredibly thankful for those people. And one of, one of my friends um, who is the coolest spiritual mystic hippie guy. He's just awesome. I love him so much. Um, he said, man, what you got to do is you got to go to the mountains and you got to get naked and you got to get on the top of the mountain and just, <laughs> and just be there and just listen. I love that idea. And I was like, well, I mean, that seems a little extreme for me to get naked on the top of a mountain, but yeah, <laughs> my brother lives out in Tahoe. So yeah. Okay. I'll go out. I'll go. I'll go do it. And I was, I was, you know, I was just going to do whatever anybody told me to do. And so I went out West and I took a week and I've really never been on a vacation by myself. And I just went and I hiked a lot and I climbed two of the biggest peaks, peaks in North America. And I, 
I got to the top of the mountain. I didn't take all my clothes off, but I took most of them off. Yeah. I was Close still enough. somewhat modest. It's <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous because yeah. there was nobody else around. But anyway, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> so I, I'm laying up there, and I realized that in the in the scale of what you see when you're on top of the world and you look down and 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 you experience the the splendor of all of that and just how minuscule you are and how vast God is and how vast creation is and and I said yeah I can accept myself and I don't know what happened up there on that mountain, but I will tell you that something something happened where I have learned to embrace myself for who I am. And, you know, if people want to accept me, great. And if they don't, that's okay too. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here desperately needing your approval. Where two years ago, if I was sitting here right now, all I would be thinking about is, how can I get John to like me? How can I get him to think that I'm smart? How can I get him to tell me that I'm something great? And I would just be constantly playing that game in my head. And something happened. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe you got to get naked and go up to the mountain. I don't know <laughs> if that's really what happened. But I, I just, the, I'm so thankful that I have learned to accept myself for who I am. Wow, that's, that's beautiful, man. And yeah, I I think there's something to that. I was literally talking about this the other night. Um, Just this idea that you spend so many years just worrying about what other people think and you base your, you build your, your, who you are and, and base your value on other people's opinions who half the time aren't even formulating those opinions that you think they are. And, and hopefully if you're lucky, you get to a stage where you just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, and like I finally, I told myself that's uh, that I'd gotten there years ago, but it was a lie. I still care. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And so finally, I think this this past year, like I got to the point where I was, I actually legitimately don't care. Not not in like an arrogant way, like I don't care what you think, yeah. you know. But like just in a way that I'm like, this is who I am, and like. I, I'm I'm working on myself. I'm always a work in progress, so I'm not saying I'm perfect, but this is this is the essence of who I am. And if you like it, great. Like, let's be friends. I love it, dude. I think yeah. you're great. Thanks, I, man. I, and I'm not just I saying you're that because you're here. <laughs> and and you need to hear that. And we need to say that to one another more. And yes, in, in the current climate that we're in, man. If you if you see something in someone that is beautiful, tell them, please. Yeah, tell them. We all need to hear that. But not for the but not for the reason that you need to be propped up or I need to be we just right. need to share that love, that that real genuine, that that light that I see inside of you. I need to point that out. Yeah. So that you can see that that really is working inside of you and that there's something that's happening that's making a difference in other people. You said something um, about how sometimes we're attributing judgment from other people to ourselves. Yeah. Uh Man, I had no idea that I was doing that, but I, I very recently, within the last two months, I was in counseling and my therapist said, um, hey, I was talking about how I was struggling with anxiety. Yeah. And I was really worried about the judgment of other people. Yeah, same. And, and he said, can you tell me 
has anyone ever said any of these things to you? <laughs> and yeah. I said, what do you mean? He's like, do you realize that the judgment that you hear is you? And I literally almost fell on the floor because w- what he said was too damn true. Yeah. Because I was attributing all of this judgment from mm-hmm. other people to me, and it was just me. Yeah. I was judging myself. And the idea of stop judging yourself. Stop. Stop giving the voice to somebody else who has the right to get inside of your brain and tell you that you're a piece of crap yeah. or that you're no good or you're going to fail. Right. Like that, that is stop. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't let yourself do that. And so I have, I have gotten into the practice of, I kind of confront that part of me that, that wants to judge me. And I say, okay, what do you want to teach me? What do I have to learn? And oh, by the way, you don't have the right to be in the driver's seat. You, you're important. It's important that I have you, but you're not going to take over. I'm not letting that happen anymore. And I mean, it sounds a little wild to be having a conversation with yourself like that, but I'm telling you, it has been a game changer for me. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to, you have to do that though. You have to state it. And sometimes like saying it out loud provides the power that you need Hmm. uh, to escape it. And like for me, like um, <clears throat> I don't know if, if this is something that Chelsea and I were talking about earlier, but um, w- right when we got divorced, we have a lot of like mutual friends, and, and most of them were her friends initially, kind of thing, you know. Like a- as it happens, you merge friends or whatever. <laughs> but I just felt like this insane amount of like um, just judgment. Hmm. Oh yeah, I, I was convinced that all of them had had been told a certain version of the story, mm-hmm. and that I was the villain, and I was like that's not fair. But at the same time, I was like, I, it, it's not, I don't want to run around having to explain myself to everyone. Yep. Like if you know me, truly know me, then you, you know the truth kind of thing. And, and, but, but even having said that, like that was a thing I carried around for a while yeah. until I realized that not a single one of them had treated me any differently or said anything of the kind. Um, but it was just for a long time. I just kind of carried that with me. Hmm. And that's yeah. that. That is so heavy. And that man, I identify with that. I, I, the the thing that I maybe struggled with the most in the the broken relationship was my fear of how other people would respond to that. So hmm. I felt the loneliness, the pain of the loss of a partner, and then. Once that started to subside, what replaced that was the pain of what, of how others would judge me yeah. and how they would choose, maybe choose her instead of choosing me. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and man, that is a, that is a mind game that you, that if you go down that trail, it is ugly. And I've been down that trail and it is scary. It is a scary place to go. And the reality is that, okay. Maybe that is true. Maybe yeah. there is an element of truth to that. But most of the time it's it's not or it's not nearly as true as you think it is. Right. And and regardless there is nothing that you can do to control it. Right. Now, so I I was telling you earlier before we were uh, on tape. Oh, yes. I've got so I had some goals and one of and one of them so I wrote these down when I was at my very lowest point. My buddy 
encouraged me to uh, to journal, and he said, "Listen, you need to have some stuff to work toward. Come up with some goals." Yeah. So when I was at my lowest of my low, I wrote down six goals. I put them on a piece of paper, and then I hung them in my office in a place that I can't ignore. I see it every single day when I'm sitting at my at my desk. I love this. And one, the first one says, "I will allow anyone to say anything about me and release in my heart a desire to control that." Oh, that's so good. And I'm reading it right now too. It, and when I wrote that, I was shaking because I was just so afraid. I, I wanted so badly to control what people thought. Yeah. And and then what what it was it was like it was like sand or water that I was trying to hold in my hand, and it just I couldn't. Yeah. And and the the really deep sense that I had was that I, I got to let this go. Yeah. I can't do this. I. I can't control them. They. I can't control myself. I can't control what my former mate is going to say. Right. I can't control any of it, and so I need to let it go. And you know what? I'm going to embrace whatever they have to say, and there's nothing that I can do about it. Um, and there was a lot of freedom in that. Yeah. Before you move on, I just want to make a comment. <clears throat> One of the things, it's interesting. Like I think people should go out and listen to um, – Homecoming, it's uh, it's Dr. Tama's uh, podcast that she does. Um, who we had on the previous episode, uh, who talks, who's a therapist who talks about divorce, and it's great. So if you listen to this one, didn't listen to that one, you should definitely listen to that one too. But what she says that was just earth shattering for me was well, she talks about in her episode on divorce, and she may talk about it in the episode. I can't remember. I recorded way too many in one month. <laughs> I don't remember now. <laughs> um, trying to be efficient, you know. Um, but what she talks about is this idea that, um, you have permission to feel whatever it is you're feeling, Hmm. whether it's anger or sadness or guilt, whatever it is, like to, to lean into it. And, and you, you have to give yourself permission just to feel what you're feeling. Hmm. But on the flip side, your mate, your ex has every right to feel what they're feeling. Amen. And you can't control that. And you just need to let it go. And doesn't, that is so hard, man, but that is so true. And there is so much freedom in that. Oh God, so liberating. And giving up the ghost of trying to control what other people think or say or do. Yeah. And to, and to live in a way that you can feel confident in. That you can feel comfortable with and, and safe in, yeah, and um, and then surround yourself with people who who you know have your back and who have your best interests in mind and who you can trust, who know you the best. Yeah, you know? it's like that's the other thing I think I had to to come to a, a realization on is that the people who truly know me, who who know me at my worst, not just my best, but know me inside and out, know my heart, like are the ones who aren't going to think anything differently. Right. Me. And the ones, the ones who don't, maybe they'll form an opinion that isn't true. And that's, I can't do anything about that either. Right. And that's fine. Well, and, and so the trick of it is, I think that those things all exist anyway. Right. But in our minds, we want to make it as if that's not real. Yeah. We, we, at least the way that I'm wired, I don't know if you're this way, but, um, I wanted to live in the delusion that everybody thought I was great. Yeah, you of course you want everyone to like you, right? Who doesn't? Well, it's just not true. It's not, and <laughs> it's, it's not possible. Not it's yeah. literally impossible. Right? It's not true. It's a lie, right. and it's uh, it is something that is a trap. I mean, and I fell into that trap big time. I mean, yeah. like in the worst way. And once I came to terms with the fact that 
yeah, there's going to be people that don't like me and maybe they really dislike me. And, oh, that's just life. And that's part of the human condition and I need to embrace it and and let it be. Yeah. And there has been an incredible amount of freedom that's come with that. Oh, absolutely. So what else is on your list of goals? I want to hear this. So um, my, my second goal was I will <laughs> embrace every moment as a gift, thankful for how the Holy Spirit is moving. And for me, that that is the the experience of the divine that is uh, that I'm interacting with that's moving within me um, and uh, just embracing the opportunity. That was, that's the thing. Just embrace the opportunity. Embrace the chance to have whatever experience is before you. Um, the third was I will allow myself to feel love, joy, and peace. When I went through divorce, I wanted to punish myself. Mm. I thought, you know, I don't deserve love. Yeah, I don't deserve to feel peace. I, I need to. I need to feel pain because this is the worst thing ever. This is uh, this is the destruction of everything that I thought that I held dear. Yeah. Um, so I had to embrace that. Um, then this this was really what I what I did on that mountaintop. But the idea number four was I will allow myself to be whole on my own instead of looking for external validation. I had been um, my whole entire life codependent on somebody else. Yeah, and I had never really understood what it means to be whole as an individual. That I would see myself as complete. Not looking for someone else to complete me, but to be complete in and of myself. And um, I had to go through a lot of hard work, and I'm still working on it now, to come to the place where I can embrace myself as a whole person on my own. Uh, the fifth was, I will stop feeling sorry for myself and allow myself the happiness that I desire. Um, there, there really was, I felt like, an externally imposed need to be unhappy. Yeah. Um, I almost felt like it was wrong for me to, to have any joy or happiness because, you know, I went through divorce. You're not supposed to be happy. Right. Um, but the reality is that divorce is complex. Human emotion is complex. And you can be in the midst of going through a terrible experience and still have moments of happiness and ha- moments of joy. And, and that's okay. Um, and then the final one, I really had to make a decision that I wanted to live. And I don't say that dramatically and I don't say it in a, in a suicidal way. I say, um, to, to embrace life for what it is, for the, the essence of the gift that it is to each of us each and every day, uh, that, that whole idea of mercy being new every morning has become something completely different to me than I ever understood. That the, when that sun comes up and it's a new day and I get to do it again, that is, that's grace. Yeah. And it's real. And it's an opportunity every day. Yeah. And, and it's being present, you know. Mm. <clears throat> I think for me personally, I've found in my year of self-reflection so far, um, <clears throat> that I, um, I'm, I'm the type of person who, um, when I take risks, it's a, a calculated risk. Um, Adam, Adam and I are, are the polar opposite, you know, <laughs> in terms of like, Adam is like just in the moment feeling it, you know, 
And for me, like, so he comes in and can just riff. And like I come in with eight pages of notes <laughs> and like I'm the one that's got the color coded calendar and, and we laugh about it because it, his, his, his mode works and my mode works for me, you know? Yeah. It, but like in that, there's something that I can learn from someone who is, uh, more, um, go with the spirit kind of, you know, yeah. uh, in the moment kind of thing. Cause I, I can't, for me, it, it, it creates anxiety. Hmm. But at the same time, what I realized over the last year is that um, most of that comes from fear. Hmm. And so my um, my goal for myself was, okay, you didn't expect to be divorced at 40 and be a single dad. And so I had to combat a lot of thoughts like, who's going to want to date a 40-year-old single dad? Mm-hmm. No one's going to want to date a 40-year-old single dad. And then then thoughts like, you know, like, am I ever going to get an opportunity to, to get it right? You know, or maybe I, I just can never love or be loved or whatever and all that stuff. And so like having to combat those thoughts, uh, for the past year and, and then on in coming through that, I realized that there is a certain amount of life that I've missed out on hmm. by being so calculated and so planned, um, that, and it's all fear-based. Hmm. If I can't let myself go. And sometimes, like, there are times where it's just like, just take the leap, you know? Hmm. Live life to its fullest. And, like, I realize that maybe I haven't. And, and it's still tough. Like, it's still something that I fight against where, like, you know... Like even recently, you know, going out on my own and trying to buy a house hmm. is something I never would have done. And like, you know, I went in, uh, I submitted an offer yesterday, signed all this paperwork and put all this money on the line and stuff. And it's just like, okay, here we (laughs) go. You know? And so for me, that's a small baby step. I know people are probably laughing. Like, that's just what you do. You know? That's great. But for me, that's like, or like, you know, spontaneous vacations, you know? And like, uh, last year, like before I turned 40, I said, I have to go see where my grandpa was born. Got to go to Scotland. It's awesome. And so I did, and I'm it was super jealous of that. By yeah. the way, <laughs> hey, awesome. I'm more than well, I'm more than happy to go again. It yes. was magical. So you know. I need to go. Oh, it, it, amazing! But like things like that, things that that I know breathe life into me. That I know if I just once in a while just take that step, just take that little step. Um, and so for me, yeah, it was like uh, a year of like realizing, like reevaluating my life and all the decisions I had made leading up into this point. And just being too scared to take a risk here and there. Yeah. It, which has prevented me from like really fully living life, I think. Yeah. And the, I mean, first of all, thank you for being so honest and transparent with that. That's not an easy thing to say. And I think that what comes to mind for me is why? Like, why do we do that to ourselves? Because I can identify right. with that too. And we, we really, we kind of, get in the way of our own opportunity to embrace what life has to give us. And something that I've been realizing quite recently is that if an opportunity presents itself to you, embrace it. Yeah. Embrace the opportunity. And in that situation, see it as love. And Mm -hmm. the reality is that, you know, a lot of us, most of us really don't, maybe we struggle with the idea of, am I really worthy of being loved for who I am? Uh, I need to be something else 
in order for people to love me. I need, it doesn't matter what it is, fill in the blank with what it is that you need to accomplish in order to be loved. But the reality is that love exists independent of what you do or don't do. Mm. It is. And you, as the person that you are, are worthy of that love wholly. And there is nothing else that you have to do to, to deserve it. It just is. And it is for me. And it is for every single person that exists. And it is a beautiful thing. And if we could really embrace the idea that love exists for every single person, 100%, without limit, and we saw everyone else and ourselves that way, that would be life-shattering for our culture. I really believe, I mean, I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but the, <laughs> the idea that, that love really is the answer, I believe it. I 100%. think loving, loving yourself and loving others it, it is the answer. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but it is the hardest thing. It's so hard. Yeah. But you're worthy of love, man. Thank you. So are you. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think to that point, though, I think, I think that's a great point, And I've always agreed with that. I think, you know, if you want to boil down the gospel, uh, you can do it quite easily. Like, don't be a jerk and love, love yourself and love others. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is, is I think as a culture— we have such a hard time loving ourselves first that we can't possibly love others until we've fixed that, you know. Well, unfortunately, a lot of us have been taught that it's wrong to love yourself. Right. That, in fact, you are by nature not lovable. Mm. And that, to me, is the crux of a lot of trouble that happens within our culture that, that we frankly have uh, completely flipped the reality of the way that God loves on its head. We have said uh, that you are not worthy of love, that you are actually worthy of ultimate condemnation, right. and that in order for you to be fixed, you have to do this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. And then there's that whole game that we all play of, well, what is the this that you have to do, and am I doing it? Right. Because I don't think I am, and I'm not worthy. Right. And And if we have an entire an entire existence where everybody thinks they are a piece of junk that right. is worthy of the ultimate condemnation. What does that breed? Right. Well, it breeds a lot of people that don't know how to love themselves and, and really struggle with loving others. And, and that, the whole us versus them mentality. And, um, man, we got to stop that. Yeah. We got to figure out a way to embrace the idea that, that God is love and that that love is free for you and for me, and that that grace exists whether or not we want to believe that it exists. It's there, and it is there for for the taking. Um, but I, I will tell you that this experience that I've gone through in divorce has dramatically changed my own understanding of of the divine and and how I relate to God. I don't know if it did for you, but oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I was. Um, this is not what I wanted. I didn't sure. want to get divorced. So I was doing everything that I thought that I was supposed to do. I was fasting. I was praying constantly. I was, I, I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do. And in my mind, I thought, well, if I do all of these things, then the answer is going to be what I want it to be, which is what I think is the right thing, right? Yeah. 
And at the end, that's not what happened. And then I, I had to sit in the reality that, well, this thing that I thought I believed, it didn't work. Well, what the heck am I supposed to do with that now? And the reality was, I mean, I think we were talking before that um, some people, you know, when they go through experiences like that, they just kind of walk away and they say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Um, I chose to go a different path and, and decided to embrace it as an opportunity to to try to evaluate what is it that I really do believe and what is true. Uh, and I have come out on the other side believing even more wholeheartedly that God is good and that he loves me and that he loves everybody, including my former wife, just as much as he loves me and uh, that we're all worthy of that love. Yeah. I I think, I think I came away with with a very similar um, lesson in it. And, And it's that I think sometimes the, the idea or, or the, the vision or the image or, the future that you thought uh, was going to be your reality. You know, I thought for sure, you know, I'm going to get married one time, have a couple kids, you know, work my job, happy life, you know, all that good stuff. And, and so when that came crashing down, like, and I, and I spent time thinking about it, eventually I came to the conclusion that, well, maybe that wasn't, Maybe that vision that I had wasn't the right vision for me. Maybe hmm. my situation looks different, but maybe it's better. Maybe I come out of this a better human being who's more equipped to be in a successful marriage. Hmm. And maybe my family going forward is this kind of split family, hmm. you know? And and I think my, my ex and I had this kind of remarkable moment that I'm thankful for where when we were going through it, I remember we were sitting on the couch we had just had a mild argument, <laughs> which I know is shocking because, you know, we're divorced. So <laughs> never had any work arguments, but, but we had this disagreement, but we sat down and, um, we ended up having this, this beautiful conversation. And cause I think there was a lot of guilt on both sides, mm-hmm. despite the fact that we were about to go through this, you know, and, um, and we both sat down and we thought, you know, maybe sometimes this just happens. Hmm. And it's no one's fault. Um, not to say that we don't have our part, our share of the blame, yeah. right? But like maybe it's no one's fault that it ultimately didn't work out. Maybe we just weren't supposed to be married, you know? Mm. Or maybe we were supposed together to be t- together through this season and this period of time. And maybe our mission on earth was to create Fiona and mm. to, to co-parent her to the best of our ability. And maybe that's okay, you know? Yeah. And maybe we can both let go of the guilt and the shame and say, you know what? we're both good people, you know? Uh, and in fact, we, you know, we both had a good cry. We had a good laugh and we said, and we even joked about the fact that we're like, do we have to divide up our friends and who gets the church? You know, like, cause we were going to this church at the time and we were both like, we don't have to do that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. I still want to be able to show up and not, and like, see you and be like, Hey, how's it going? You know, or, or what, you know, whatever. Well, like we don't have to divide up our friends. Our friends are mature enough to the point where they can handle being friends with both of us. Hmm. And so, um, that was a remarkable moment Yeah, for me, I thought. And then, so then we made the, the deliberate effort to say, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to have our moments, you know, of course, where 
we're going to catch each other in a bad mood or something and and we're going to have a bad day. But we're going to keep coming back to the center because we owe that to Fiona and um, we owe that to who we were when we first met. And so we're going to try to do this the best we can. And we're going to be a model for other people and say, hey, you know what? If your marriage can't survive, if it can't, and you have to go your separate ways, there is a way to do this that is uh, good and healthy and and not destructive. And it's hard. It's super hard. It's probably harder than even marriage. Yeah. You know? But oh, yeah, it's it hard. can be done. Very hard. Because there are days where I'm just like, God, you drive me nuts. And I'm sure um, she has the same. I, I know she does. Because um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the world's easiest person. I know that. But, um, but, but the fact of the matter is like, you know, like we believe in the love of God. And we believe in forgiveness and, and redemption and, and, and all those things. And so ultimately, like, we just keep trying, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so... I'm optimistic, you know, yeah. even though like we, we said, we bring this up a little bit. I'm not going to go deep into it, but like online dating is horrible. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. So I've said it, it's on record. Online dating is horrible. Um, it is an, it was a horror show on, on, on apps. I thought, so I, I just want to say this one time so I can get it off my chest, but as a 40 year old man getting, getting into online dating, was just like this weird, naive moment of my life where I was like, these kids have apps for everything. They don't even need to do anything, you know? Like, Oh, yeah. You can have food delivered to your house. Like, you, you know, you can have your groceries delivered and you can, like, set up a date and have an entire relationship before you even meet. This is going to be so easy. Yeah. And no. It's, <laughs> it's a different world, man. I, uh, I was telling a friend the other day that it is a, uh, a crazy experience to go from the last time that I was single was in 1997. Yeah. Yes. Now fast forward to 2020 and the world is a way different place. It's so weird. It's very different. But um, embrace everything as opportunity. And yeah, that, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, it, it, it is, um, it's an interesting thing to go your entire adult life, um, for me at least, yeah. is being a married person and then and then not and yeah. you know especially in the church we we really wear that as an identity and and I really think unfortunately that we make marriage an idol in the, in the church and we could talk about that for days and days but right uh, the reality is that um, that that's not your identity your identity is not uh, John the married guy or John the single guy um, you're you just are you are who you are and um, and we are Okay. Yeah. We're going to survive, Ryan. Right? It's going to be all right. I know. And and I thought uh, Christmas of 2018 was the worst day of my life. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I've, I've never felt worse. Mm. Um, I was, I, I really just, I, I didn't, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. Um, I just was in so much pain. And um, I thought, is this the way that, Life is going to be. Am I going to feel like this forever? This summer, um, I thought, is ever is anyone ever going to care about me again? Am I just going to be a, a a piece of trash? And the answer to all of those questions is, mercy's new every morning, and there is an opportunity every day to embrace. And if we choose to experience the things that come our way as an opportunity, 
man, there's so much out there. There is so much every single moment. Yeah. And I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful today. Um, you know, I wish that I didn't have to go through what I went through. I wish you didn't have to go through what you went through. Um, I wish my kids didn't have to experience that. Um, but I am extremely grateful for what I have learned in this past year and a half. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited about what the future holds. And uh, and I get, I'm excited about you know, who you're going to be. And, uh, and, you know, our story is being written as we speak. And I really think there is so much wisdom in the idea that Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow has enough worry of itself. Right now, this is it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was dealing with so much depression because I was thinking about the past. Mm-hmm. And I was dealing with so much anxiety because I was thinking about the future. But when you can, when you can focus in on the moment in front of you and, and what your opportunity is, I really think that's where peace is. I c- completely agree. So, uh, since, uh, we're going on two hours at this point, yes. <laughs> um, uh, and this is the longest podcast we've officially ever done in four years. So, uh, yeah. people who know me would not be surprised by that. I'm a, I, I talk a lot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is power pack though. So, Amen. um, so what, uh, what, what words would you leave people with? What, what is your big takeaway from it? What's, what's the advice that you would give folks who are either going through one, have gone through one, maybe are still in that dark period of time? Like what, what's your advice for them? Well, the first thing that I would say is, uh, it's okay to feel pain. It's okay to hurt. And, and I also would say if you're, if you're not, I would encourage you to really try to open up your heart because divorce is an extremely painful experience and it's okay. It's okay to experience that. That's part of, of the human existence that some things hurt and some things hurt really bad. I also would say that you are worthy of love right now, even though you are extremely broken and you feel like maybe you'll never be loved again, even in that moment, even when you are the most cracked up, even when the, you, are, you are just laying in the gutter, you are worthy of love. And man, I just want to give, I just want to give everybody a hug and say, I love you. Because doesn't it mean so much to hear someone say that? I accept you. I love you just the way that you are. Um, and, and there is hope. There's hope for a new day that I can tell you in 2018, I didn't see it. I couldn't even look beyond what was happening in that, in that moment. And I was in pain, but now I can look and say, there's so much that, that God was doing in the midst of all of that. And I had an awesome dream that happened uh, at the at the end of 2018, where um, I was walking along and um, and what I understood to be Jesus was walking next to me, and I said, "I just don't get this. This hurts so bad." And his answer to me was, "I know, and it hurts me too, and I love you, and I'm sorry." And I mean, 
it just makes me want to cry right now thinking about it. And I always thought that God was going to be my answer person, was going to fix everything for me. And what I found out is that I think he's actually even more than that. He is the ultimate act of love that truly understands us better than we could ever understand ourselves. And we're walking down that path that feels like darkness. He's right there with us. He puts his arm around us and says, I know, and I'm here. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thank you. This is good. Everybody, um, I hope this is helpful, and um, uh, we'll see you next time.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.